This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Please set me on fire. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is Rao Reynolds keyboardist and lead vocalist for the St. Albans, England electronic rock band, Enter Shikari. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the 2023 hit single, Please Set Me On Fire, taken from their brand new album, A Kiss For The Whole World. This is the band's seventh overall record, and the second in a row to be produced by Rao. I asked him how he knew it was time to branch out and start producing his own records, and he basically said it was a long time coming combined with the fact that he just didn't think anyone else could bring the ideas he had in his head to full fruition. The track is dense and layered, and the lyrical subject matter is not at all what I thought it was. Rao took a really isolating, dark period of his life, complete with writer's block, then rebounded and turned it around into the band's biggest song to date, with the full record going straight to number one on the UK album's charts, their first album to do so. And... Rao was very complimentary towards Dan Lancaster, with whom he mixed the record with. As he should be, the Sonics are massive. So for all this in a rattlesnake shake, don't you dare slither away. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey. Rao, how's it going? Hey, hey, very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I understand you're in the great state of Texas as we speak. We are indeed, yeah. Some, uh, finally having some days off uh, after a bit of a intense run. We're doing uh, lots of US festivals that we've never done before, so that's been amazing. That's very cool. Speaking of US festivals, I first became aware of you on the Warp Tour in 2011. Less Than Jake was out there with you guys uh, oh, that, yeah. that summer uh, traversing the US. And uh, so impressed by you, my friend. So impressed that I bombed your dressing room in Interlaken, Switzerland, up in the Swiss Alps at the Greenfield Festival this past summer. I just walked straight in and I said, hey, I need someone from Enter Sakari to be on my podcast, and you were gracious enough, so I, I, I want to thank you for that. Oh, no, absolutely. No, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Very cool. Well, uh, amazing career. The band formed in 1999. Your debut album, Take to the Skies, was released in March 2007. Uh, second album, Common Dreads, in June 2009. Of course, in 2011, uh, we just talked about the Warp Tour uh, out there the whole summer with Less Than Jake. And then uh, your third record, A Flash Flood of Color, in 2012, the Mind Sweep in 2015, and here's where it starts to get interesting. You did a record called The Spark in 2017, where you had a co-producer credit, and your last two records, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible from 2020, it's produced by yourself, as well as A Kiss for the Whole World. 
brand new record just came out in April of this year, uh, produced by yourself as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's mad when you list them off like that. Like we've, <laughs> we've been going a long time. Seven studio albums is is crazy. But yeah, I'm uh, thoroughly grateful to uh, still be doing this. How did you get to the point where you're like, I'm confident enough in my producer skills to see a project through. You know, I've been doing this for a long time too. I know how to, you know, dial up sounds and, and put things together, but I don't have that uh, that final decision making within my band of saying, I'm going to helm and head this project. I mm. lean on them a lot. How did you get to that point where you're like, I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to steer the ship. It took a very long time. Like I'm quite a kind of diffident person. Like I'm usually quite reluctant to take on new, new responsibilities, but I think there were so many examples for me where I had an idea and it required me sort of, yes, being at the helm, like sitting in that seat and like trying things. And because I wasn't in that seat with my hand on, on the mouse or I, I didn't feel like quite in charge of the whole sound, you know, look, you know, that kind of bird's eye view of the project. Um, I, I didn't kind of pipe up and talk about a specific idea. And so they were basically like, I kept on seeing like just little, little moments where like uh, the, the song could have gone in a different direction or could have had a different sound or something and it just didn't happen because i either stayed mute or you know just didn't feel it was my place sort of thing and i'd i'd been i'd produced uh, electronic music uh as, as long as we'd been in the band really so i had like a bit of experience um in producing and i think yeah it got to the stage with nothing is true it's such an ambitious album in its scope you know it's it has such a broad array of instrumentation and textures and emotions that it's trying to convey. And I think because it was so ambitious, it needed the, the production side of it needed to come from my brain as well. Otherwise I think it would have been diluted like the, the sort of general idea. So I sort of felt that because I co-produced the, the previous album, the spark, I, that had built my confidence up a bit and, and sort of, yeah, just finally took the leap really it, it, at that point, I suppose we were kind of 15 years in, into this and I thought, uh, yeah, it's kind of now or never. And it, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's not to say that, you know, I had a lot of help, you know, I, I had um, assistants, you know, I had engineers. So it was, it was still a, a team effort for sure. But it was just, I think it just enabled the songs to become like real, uh, just the best forms uh, that they could be and closest to the original form that I would have had in my head, you know, when, when I, the first sort of little spark came. Now, how was that with, you know, getting the respect from your other band members and, and letting you steer this ship? Is that fine or was, is that create tension? Because I know in my band, it gets very uh, tumultuous sometimes. I'm very lucky, I think, you know, that they were extremely supportive and, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll come to them with like demos that, um, are really quite far along down the road. So they know I have like very intact visions of tracks. So, so I think they know I've got the kind of the ability to blossom a, a track, like in terms of its, its sonic breadth. And so it was, it was, if anything, they were just like really encouraging of it. Um, Cause I think they'd also seen like moments where you know, we'd, we'd not ventured and, and explored routes that we perhaps would have if I was in control. Um, 
Like I'm, I'm very, very fond of music as experimentation, music as exploration. You know, we're we're curious as human beings. That's one of our kind of basic traits, isn't it? Really. So I, I think anything that kind of brings that out and supports that, and, and and music is something that you can just get lost in in the flow state, or you know, whatever people. Uh, like to call it um and you can really just get back into that almost naive pure wholesome yeah uh curiosity state so um yeah any, anything that kind of brings that forward is something that we all just love being in music for well it sounds to me i think you took a roundabout nice way of saying that your band respects you you know they, they trust your instincts they're letting you guide this and that's awesome that's a great uh, great relationship to have when you're when you're working together and trying to trying to create something yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think like we've got to the stage now where we've all kind of slipped into like extra roles and all have like extra things to do. So we've all got those things to concentrate on. So like, for instance, Chris, our bassist is kind of head of the, the live show in terms of the, uh, the synths and the MIDI setup and all, you know, kind of the technicals of that. And, you know, everyone sort of has these extra jobs and, and my extra job seems to have become producer. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, a couple more things. Is the song titled Please Set Me On Fire? Because it's PLS in parentheses. Yes, absolutely. It's it's these bloody kids and their internet speech, isn't it? That's that's what it looks like to me. Well, this song was released simultaneously with the announcement of the new record uh, in January of, of this year. A Kiss for the Whole World was released uh, on April 21st of 2023, went straight to number one on the official UK albums charts, your first record to do so. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, very surreal. We were super happy. We got we got told um, as we were pretty much as we were boarding a, a plane to America, where no one gives a shit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a it was a very strange um, experience where we were like super hyped and like finally, you know. We've, we've got number one. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You're, you're very humble in saying that. You're still over here 24 years into your career, you know, trying to make a name for yourself in the States. But let me tell you, for everybody listening, if you haven't, go check out Enter Shikari, go to YouTube, look at the videos. I, I've seen you live over in Europe and England. It's as massive as you get, okay? So um, these Americans need to get their heads together and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and support you fully. But I want to get into this song. It's three minutes and four seconds, and you talked about texture, and you talked about, I think you said depth and, you know, and, and, and layers of instruments. Man, <laughs> this is about as full as it gets. And this song takes you on a ride. Uh, nothing quite sounds like what you put together here, Rao. It's, it's, it's really interesting. The intro is like this backwards shh, uh, like symbol right off the top into uh, a vocal of Please Set Me On Fire. Very slick and huge sounding. Tons of lead and uh, backing harmonies on this vocal. A drum loop and a synth is running underneath for seven bars. Then eight bars of a blown out sounding loop of drums and swirling synthesizers. Bunch of vocal swells and swirls happening here. Please set me on
part sounds very prog rock, almost like 70s Yes to me. Were you into Yes at all? I I definitely uh, know that my uncle had a, cut a few of those records, <laughs> and I used to root through his collection yeah, every uh, every weekend. I love Yes, and and I hear that crazy synth part that's happening yeah, there. Yeah. It's very. <laughs> it, it reminds me of, of of that era, and I didn't know if that was an influence at all there. Yeah, I think that sort of era where, you know, people were pioneering like different types of synthesis, that must have been one of the most exciting times to, to be in music where they had these big, you know, hardware, keyboards, modular synths, and it must have been so exciting. Um, and yeah, therefore, there was some incredibly exciting music being made. I will tell you, you know, this song, when you get through the first chorus, and we're going to get there, you're about halfway through the song. And when I got to the end of the song, and I'm at the third chorus, I wanted the song to continue. It didn't feel like it was three minutes and four seconds. It's it's strange how the arrangement did that to me. And on subsequent listens, I had the same feeling, the way that this song's arranged. I think it's arranged brilliantly. On the seventh bar of this prog rock part I'm talking about, full production comes in. Big drums, synth pads, stereo guitars, bass, a moving synth hook. This goes on for 16 bars. On bars eight and bars 16 of this, you got these octave guitars that are accenting there. I think that is just killer. And there's another backward symbol here that then takes us into verse one. This whole intro is the chorus progression. I got to ask, did you do a demo for this song? And did anything change from what I just listed out this intro? Oh, yeah, there was there was definitely a demo. Um, I mean, it, it was actually like the, the first song I wrote for the record. And I remember, I think it basically blossomed out of that chorus progression, which is, yeah, the sort of palm muted chugs of the guitar, just the playing yes. those, that chord progression. And I remember finding a synth that just kind of fitted with that guitar so neatly. Like often it's quite hard, you know, going into sort of production world here, but you know, finding synths and guitars that work well together because they're often taken up the kind of the same range and the frequency spectrum. Same frequency, yeah. Yeah, and and this, it was almost like, I mean, I don't know, I'll be interested to see what you think. Like, there is a synth that's doing exactly the same thing as that uh, chordal guitar, um, but it sort of sounds like it's just a guitar, but it's thickened up beautifully, especially in the, the stereo image by this synth. Um, and that just, it sounded so powerful when they were playing together. Um, it was immediately inspiring. I thought those were just guitars. So there is yeah. a synth there ghosting those. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. And as soon as they were playing together and we, we tried out like different uh, chord sequences, but this one, just the, the rising nature of this one, it just felt so exciting. And so, yeah, I think that certainly that, that the chorus thing would have been in there. I don't know whether it was would have started the same way. I think we wanted to bring out that kind of manic synth riff, which is why it starts with that sort of lo-fi um, intro where where the guitar is actually tapping the the riff as well. And I just I just love that it's sort of like it's, it feels like quite hectic. It's just like a really intense start. It is. You use the term manic. That synth part is is very manic. Mm. I gotta ask, did I leave anything out here in the intro? And is there some kind of subtones running underneath too that I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, when it when it drops in, into the chorus, there's yeah, there's a whole 
whole ton of a metric ton of sub um, in there yeah for sure yeah and that's what's giving it that thick low mm. growl you can't just get those with guitars or synths it's mm. got to be got to be something more there and it just it just sounds so deep and layered right at that part i think it needed like extreme power you know like because we we kind of grew up with one leg in the hardcore punk scene but also one leg in like the london electronic music scene which you know had drum yeah. and bass it had we watched dubstep grow from its very early beginnings in south london um we had you know so we had house we had uk garage all, all, all these different in influences and so um sub bass has has become a pr pretty consistent in, in our music you know a lot of people in the rock scene will have like sub drops um you know when they're entering a breakdown or something but sure but for us it's like I do sort of view our music as dance music, but played by a punk outfit. So yeah, so, so having that rumble throughout a, a chorus or throughout some sort of big section is, is, is key for us really. Waiting for your signal, waiting for a sign, looking upward. I wait for the divine. Won't you come down? Won't you come down and reify yourself? Be my fire lily on the blackened ground. I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> well, basically, it's all about yearning. The divine I'm sort of evoking is the transcendency of music of creativity of human connection basically everything that i lost during the pandemic and during lockdowns and not being able to play shows i had a, a very strange experience um as i was there you know during the lockdown scrolling through social media seeing all my peers like in the studio being super productive and you know making the most of their time off tour uh, i i found that i couldn't write music at all and I've subsequently found some people who had the, the same experience um, uh, retrospectively, which has been really interesting to speak with them. But but at the time, I felt like sort of quite alone with that. Um, and I didn't actually write any music for a year and a half, which is uh, mad. You know, I've, I've, I've written music since I was uh, 10, 11 years old, really. So it was, it was a very um, disconcerting, disorientating time. And this was, yeah, this was like the first song that I wrote after we started playing shows again. And I realized that one of the main reasons why I, I'd sort of just completely dried up and become in, unable to write music was because we, I didn't have that sense of human connection, that sense of transcendency and purpose of, of the live show. Yeah. So that's what the first verse there and, and the whole song really is, it, is all about just you know, please set me on fire. It sounds like the, uh, the, the cryings of a madman. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Why? You were kind of going mad. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Your whole life had been uprooted. Everything that you knew, your, your career, how to, uh, have income, everything was, was, was turned upside down. I don't think there was any gray line here, Rao. Um, I, 
either had musician friends that, as you said, were just completely productive, hit the gas pedal and just and just went for it uh, and, and made the most of their off time. And then there was a lot of guys who were just depressed and had a really difficult time. I will tell you, you know, uh, the older I get, I think everything happens for a reason. And, and you wrote a banger here after a year and a half. So not all is lost. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad that <laughs> that came out of it. I think there's, it's interesting in this song, there's like, there's two sort of, for me, there's two main emotions. There's the, the absolute yearning um, for all those things that, that I'd, I'd missed. And, th- and there's a sort of, there's a real anxiety within that yearning as well. Like, you know, I, for, at one point I was like, am I ever going to be able to write music again? And uh, hopefully in the, in the sort of manic sense that we were talking about, hopefully you can hear that twinge of like neuroticism. That's just like, Oh God, am I actually, now that you mention it, I, I hear a real sense of urgency. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, th- I think as well, that pro- probably touches on the other emotion for, for me, which is just pure excitement because w- when we actually started re- recording this properly, um, and I was like refining the lyrics and things, the sense of joy, the sense of like reconnecting, you know, with, with my band members, with the band, with feeling like we were a band again, there was just, it was a thrill. It was a thrill to write. And hopefully that, that sort of thrilling nature comes out in the, yeah. in that sort of sense of urgency that you get from the music. You know, what's crazy. The first song that I'd write for a record, that's never been the single. In fact, mm. a lot of times it, a lot of times it doesn't even make the record because it yeah. was just the first first start of the process. And, and here you are, first song you wrote out of an 18-month drought, and, and you get this. Yeah, it's weird. For the, for the first few albums, that was certainly the way. But then for some reason, the last three albums, the first track, you know, I'm, I'm always like writing a few tracks at a time, but one of those like, initial offerings of music has ended up being the the first single every time so live outside on on the spark and and dreamers hotel on the uh nothing is true and everything's possible so yeah it's very very strange but yeah it, i guess it just if you if you're so excited by the the first track it just like propels the the whole you know uh, journey of the album forward as a creator couple more things before we move on. Uh, Dan Lancaster was credited as mixing this record. He's worked with Five Seconds of Summer, Bring Me the Horizon, and Muse, to, na- to name a few. The mix sounds incredible. Mm. <laughs> How closely do you work with Dan in the mixing process? Are you there through the whole thing, or you kind of let him do his thing? Yeah, no, we'll be there. He actually lives uh, really close to us, and we've known him for a while, and he's an absolute legend, incredibly talented um, songwriter, singer, um, and uh, yeah, a brilliant mixer. I remember the first draft he sent through and I think we, I don't think we sent the track to anyone else as well. I think we knew for this one that we wanted Dan because he, he mixed uh, a few tracks on the previous album as well. And he, he has just a, a real knack for, you know, getting that last like 10, 20% of excitement into a song. You know, the, the way he deals with drum compression, I think specifically, is just incredible. He just brings things to life. And yeah, the, from that first draft, we were like, yes, he's nailed it. And nice. from then on, it was just like small refinements, you know. Well, speaking of the drums, are these analog drums? I'm not talking about, you know, having some some samples or triggers on them, but was this actually played? It wasn't all uh, all loops? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely played. There, yeah, yeah. There's, there's like samples. There's. Well, I also like, um, without getting too geeky, like 
drum design especially with snares so i often like adding transient pops and like uh mm-hmm. sort of bits of white noise for like hisses and you know but basically augmenting the the initial snare with various types of synthesis um and making sure that you know it's the tunings are there and the spikes are in the right places and stuff but yeah it is all real initially um and it was recorded in a <laughs> I don't know how to describe this, but it's like a dilapidated barn um, that was on the side of this farmhouse, which is where we recorded. And it uh, it was all that where we recorded was was completely off grid. It was in the middle of nowhere on the south coast of England. Um, and yeah, Rob, as soon as we got there, he was like, "Oh, I want this to be my drum barn." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the ceiling is like kind of on the the wonk it looks like this place is about to cave in and there's like ivy <laughs> and uh, other kind of plants that have like grown into the building and coming in the ceiling it's like this quite beautiful eerie place um but it had a great sound to it and a great amount like just the right amount of like reverberation that you that you'd want for like a big powerful drum sound so we um we got quite lucky with that I feel like you, tra- you know, transported me there. I can smell cow manure all, all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. A uh, lot going on in verse one. I want to talk to you about the first two lines here that you sing. Uh, overdriven stereo guitars and vocals only for the first two lines, separated by a kick drum crash and a bass guitar stab. The band is in on the line looking upward. Very energetic. There's like a pushed feel here with the drums, the bass, and the stereo guitars. The lead vocals are very aggressive. Uh, are the vocals doubled i think they were yes i would um, yeah my, almost all the the aggressive vocals are usually double so i would have thought they would have been yeah that's what it sounds like i love what happens on the line i wait for the divine uh chris batten your multi-instrumentalist who plays synths keys and does backing vocals as well as uh he's he's the bassist he does the harmony on that line but then he does it sounds like definitely the lead on won't you come down and won't you come down again he also doing the harmonies on those lines or is the harmony you there wait so on the lines that he's doing the mains (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so on i wait for the divine he's doing the backing vocals there that's you singing that line yeah and then he sings won't you come down twice in a row it sounds like he's the lead on that but is he also doing the backing harmonies on that god i can't remember (laughs) <laughs> great answer I, yeah. that's fine that's fine <laughs> i i'm i know i'm doing the sort of yeah i i think it might be him because i'm just doing the kind of shouty and spoken stuff in those verses so he, yeah he's doing all the harmonies it's such a strange part strange strangely beautiful uh all of a sudden the backing vocalist comes in in the middle of a verse out of nowhere but it works yeah we, there was like a real concerted effort to have more of chris like up front on this album because he, he's had some struggles with his voice over the last quite, quite a few years now and he, he really made some progress over the last few years well the last two years or whenever we started making this record <laughs> And yeah, so we like, I really wanted to get his his voice in there because he's got such an awesome voice and it's so brilliantly sort of just sits with mine and it, it, we've got completely different voices, but they work like really yes. well together. And so when he comes in, it's like a sort of breath of fresh air or it's like a new door opening, you know, just like it really 
it really works. Um, so yeah, but we, we really wanted to get him doing some some mains in there as well. I don't know if you consciously thought this, but it, it reminded me when I'm I'm listening to this is like all of a sudden two people are kind of conversing, having a conversation. Mm. That's the, that that's the vibe I got. I really like it. Uh, you say reify yourself, and then the last two lines: "Be my fire lily," and on the blackened ground we get harmonies on those lines as well. And on the last line, on the blackened ground, on on, there's like a rattlesnake shaker that happens there. That happens a couple times in the song with some delay on it. I talk about this a lot in the show. It's just a, it's a little hook within the song. I think it's really cool. A little flourish. Yeah, I think, so it's a, it's a synth and some percussion. Oh, it is a synth too. Okay. Yeah. It's like a, I call it the uh, rattlesnake. Yeah, it's like on a really fast envelope. Yeah, yeah, I love those little like little bits of ear candy, you know, just like to yeah, kind of boost certain lines of lyrics or certain moments. And it, the, the, the last lyrics of those verse are possibly some of the most important on. Well, I was going to say the track, but possibly the album. You know, the the album artwork is the fire lily. I, I just became completely. Uh, enamored with this uh, species of, of plant which only grows after a forest fire so when you have this completely blackened landscape where just you know everything's charred and dead uh, there's some chemical reaction that happens with, within the soil that triggers the the seeds that have sometimes been uh, lying under the soil for like decades um th this is in i think it's native in south africa and there's some other parts in the world there's this specific fire lily that then grows and it's this beautiful red orange bright thing and it's just it's such a great metaphor for you know for life really like when when things yeah. seem at their utter worst there's always hope there's always a chance for you know something positive to to grow out of a, a dark period I love that you described that because that uh, you basically went scorched earth for 18 months and, and this is what came out of it. I, I love the metaphor there. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Very cool. Well, pre-chorus one. In the city, on a quiet night, you can hear us set ourselves alight. Oh, let me transcend and be a flicker in your eyes. Wait for the spark. I'm no good at goodbyes. It starts off with really what is a uh, setting the scene or like an expla explanation of, for me, live music. Setting myself alight in, in that respect is is the transcendency of live shows it's that feeling of human connection that, that i missed and, and and yearned for in, in this song mm -hmm. you know in, in this verse it there's a there's perhaps like an extra sense of almost it feels like a bit more fatalistic when it comes a second time you know because the we've, we've had this the screeching vocals in the first verse and it's coming back again it's like oh god are we getting anywhere sort of thing um, and that, you know, that's what it, it, it felt, you know, we had these like lockdown and then there was like a glimmer of hope and another lockdown. And yeah, so I think that it, it was just a way of, of getting that sense of, um, extreme darkness, you know, when it's like you've, you've, you've had a few, what you thought were glimmers of like coming out the other side. Yeah. And of course this could, this could be extrapolated to any 
scenario for anyone really it often happens that way when you you think like oh am i am i through this difficult period of my life this period of adversity and then it's like oh no i'm not you're slapped back you're straight back in it yeah so yeah it felt like it was important to keep up that uh that energy for the, for the second verse there there's no sign of stormy weather i can my Hey, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Rao Reynolds coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. We'll be fighting on the front line. And now, back to the show. Well, I love this part. It feels like a scene change to me. And I feel like I'm listening now to an English band. It's <laughs> this part, you can hear you can hear your accent a little more. The vocals are sung an octave lower. Uh, very English, new wave, 80s feel here, kind of. That's what I'm hearing mm. in this part. Uh, the production tucks down a bit here from the verse. The stereo guitars are played more staccato, along with the bass and the drums. On line two and line four, there's this cool synthesizer doing these swells i love it it's just there uh there's no backing vocals in the pre-chorus uh, on goodbye in the last line we get a pick slide buried off to the right it, I, I couldn't tell what it was at first it's really really tucked in the mix but I, I love how it works there and on the last line the synth part running underneath this line uh but it's not as loud in the mix as lines two and four so again you know talking about the mixer dan lancaster and yourself when you went to mix this those synth lines on line two and four in pre-chorus one here uh so that'd be on the line on a quiet night and on the line set ourselves alight the synth is pretty up in the mix but on that last line it's tucked i love little things like that in the city on the quiet night you can hear us set ourselves alight oh let me transcend and be a flicker in your eyes I find like, you know, things like that, they sort of breathe life into the song. If the dynamics are just too static and too predictable, 
the song doesn't feel alive and you know so if you have those kind of ebbs and flows of of volume or of, of of distance or you know whatever sort of parameter it is you're playing with it just um yeah it keeps it like moving and keeps it breathing when i talk to bands that have a production like this and and i the only thing i can ever compare it to is what i do musically and this isn't a knock on my band but we're a punk band we got one guitar we're a bass we we don't run tracks we're just a live band we go out and do our thing you know, I know how to record my band. I know hey, we're going to do a little overdub here or an octave part, but putting something like this song together, when do you know enough's enough? <laughs> There's so much going on here. And again, you're sitting in the producer's chair. When do you know this song's done? I got to stop cooking this monster. <laughs> I mean, that is, yeah, pretty notorious for being one of the hardest uh, aspects of, of songwriting right. or production, isn't it really? Um I mean, something this this big, there's a lot yeah. here. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. It's not like I have a system in place, you know, and I've like, are all my boxes checked? Okay, send it to the printers, you know. Um, right. It, it's. I suppose it's very instinctual. And, you know, I think there's even a, a quote, isn't there? It's like um, a, a true piece of art is never finished. It's uh, abandoned. <laughs> and i've always mm. <laughs> i've always quite liked that it's a, i like that yeah it sort of takes the pressure off it's, it's instead of asking yourself is this work finished you, you ask yourself am i ready to abandon this <laughs> you know has it grown to its it's a stage where you're uh, uh, you feel comfortable letting it out into the world by itself like it's a, your child you know <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah it's i think it's quite instinctual um if it gives me a sort of feeling of wholeness you know then then i feel that it's done and and sometimes you know there's there's the odd occasion where, where i'll start either i'll start mixing it or send it to to the mixer um even when i'm perhaps i don't have that feeling of, of wholeness and sometimes that will appear in the mixing process and i was like oh that that's what i needed i just needed it to be mixed <laughs> you know so it's, yes um, yeah, yeah it's difficult awesome well chorus one comes right off of pre-chorus one I want to be ash in the atmosphere. Please set me on fire. Set me on fire. Can you strike a match? Make me disappear. Please set me on fire. Set me on fire. Uh, same instrumentation uh, as the intro. Halftime feels super heavy. On lines two and four, please set me on fire. Set me on fire. It's the same line both times. There's falsetto on the first set me on fire on each of those lines. Very cool. That falsetto up an octave. I, I really like that. And again, was that something that you, you heard in your head from the demo stages or did you come up with that in the studio? I think it was something that evolved because I know I tried this in a few different keys. There are, there are possibly multiple demos of this song in different keys because I didn't quite know where it would sit best in terms of my vocal range. Often when I'm deciding key, there's a bit of a fight between what's best for vocals and what's best for sub. Um, so that it, yeah. they, they're, they're often completely different um, keys. And I think luckily over the last few years, I've had a, um, a bit more confidence of putting falsetto as, as main, you know, we've always had like falsetto harmonies since, ever since the first album, but there was always like a reluctance. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what it was like some kind of 
subconscious machoism that was like, oh, you can't have Forsetto as your main vocal. Mm -hmm. Something silly like that. But um, yeah, now I think, you know, we've got to the stage with certainly the last two albums or so, or probably three actually, where I, I don't care. For me, the, the, vo the vocal is a vocal. It, it's a voice. It's so much stronger than just a harmony. And there's a harmony on every line here in the chorus, but it's so much stronger than just a harmony. It really sticks out on those two lines in particular. And it just, I don't know, it, it does something there. I, th I think I think it's really, really cool. Uh, again, we get harmonies on every line in the chorus, and then we're straight in to verse two. I'm sick of being broken. I'm sick of being bruised. I'm a quarry, deserted and disused. Won't you come down? Won't you come down? Be my excavator and tell me what you find. You know, at that point, we, we're crossing over from yearning to desperation. The first two lines uh, here in verse two are reminiscent of the first two lines in verse one, except this has a killer synth and like these pre-delayed vocals kind of swirling around from the left or right speaker there. I really like dynamically what that does. On the line, I'm a quarry. The band is back in. And something interesting on the fourth line here, Rao, deserted and disused, there's no harmony. On the on verse one on the line, I wait for the divine. There's a harmony there. Was there a reason there's no harmony here? Didn't sound good, or you just didn't put one, or didn't think about it? I, I think it was to basically really put forward the idea of feeling alone. You know, deserted and disused. You are you're in this by yourself. There's no help. Um, there's no support from backing vocals, basically. Um, and and you know that's how often any any type of adversity feels. Um, if, if you're in the, the sort of stage where you're not opening up about it, you can feel extremely isolated. And that's, you know, that that's when I think desperation does set in because there's, if there's one thing worse than going through a hardship, it's going through that hardship alone. Um, so I think it was just, yeah, to, to heighten that, that sense of, uh, isolation. I love that. I talk about that a lot on, on this show. And a lot of times it'll be the end of a song. You'll have harmonies all through the last chorus. And then there's this very poignant, heartfelt lyric that the vocalist just sings by himself at the end of the song because it has to be by itself. It's personal. I'm really glad you, that that's the case here, that, that you said that. That's, real, that's really cool. And I, I think the line is, is, uh, is better for it. The next line, next two lines, Won't You Come Down, again, uh, sung by Chris. Uh, and then there's harmonies on Be My Excavator and Tell Me What You Find. Uh, same instrumentation here as verse one, but now we're joined by an underlying synth part. And again, swirling delayed vocals uh in this part not just on the first two lines but this whole part and then we get a great synth swell into the bridge we also get another rattlesnake here on the last line mm -hmm. uh, and tell me what you find you get that uh that rattle uh percussion synth sound again yeah it's full, again just full of life trying to keep, keep it move forward before it cuts out into the the final verse where it all breaks down in the city on a quiet night You can hear us Set ourselves alight Oh, let me transcend And be a flicker in your eyes Wait for the spark Please 
I mentioned a little bit earlier on chorus one that goes through from a, a minute eight to about uh, I don't know a minute forty or so. So you're halfway through the song, then you get into verse two. But you don't get the traditional pre-chorus after verse two. It goes to what I'm calling a bridge, mm. but it's the same lyrics as the pre-chorus, except for you don't get the I'm no good at goodbyes at the end. It's brilliant here how this part is essentially a pre-chorus, but now it's a different part. I'm calling it the bridge. Uh, again, same lyrics. In the city on a quiet night, you can hear us set ourselves alight. Oh, let me transcend and be a flicker in your eyes. Wait for the spark. But we don't get the I'm no good at goodbyes there. Uh, Keys synth, I'm calling it a wind sound. It's very atmospheric and spacey that's happening here. Sounds like a single guitar is strumming underneath it all. And there's a really haunting vocal here. No harmonies at all. And we don't get any drums until we get a drum fill on the last line, wait for the spark that leads us into chorus three. How did this part come about? You know, you're using the same lyric, but it's in a completely different context and feel. Yeah, I think it was about accentuating the sense of isolation, the sense of desperation. It's kind of, it has a site when it's in that lower octave and when it's also the verse that we've had before that was in the lower octave is quite projected it's quite it's still there's energy to it whereas this it feels very vulnerable it feels yeah very isolated um and has a sort of pleading nature to it it's like the desperation has been sucked out of it and it's it, there's like no energy left <laughs> you know it's now it's now just um it, it's very weak and I, I think it was important to get that across because that's truthful to the experience i think you know you do, you don't always feel negative emotions which are sort of energized you know like desperation anger fury yeah you know it, so, sometimes the emotions are just complete vulnerability um and so yeah i i think as well like that there's a sort of romanticism about the uh, the picture that i'm describing there again going back to the idea of of live music in the city it conjures this image that I'm sure we all have of this romanticized image of the show, this place where we come together, where we forget our worries, where it's all about human connection. It's about creativity. Um, it's about community. Uh, you know, I feel very passionate about like, that's the reason why I do music, you know, to bring people together in a world that's incredibly divisive and tribalistic. So yeah, it was important just to have to m make this first kind of hyper emotional really awesome well chorus three okay you get please set me on fire alone just like the top of the song and on fire the band comes back in and then you say please set me on fire again uh, no other chorus in the song starts like this but uh, i'm calling it the chorus i don't know how what else you would say this part is mm. I love this, though. It's the only two times in the song, barring the time at the top of the song, that this happens by itself. I think it's really neat. It wasn't overdone. It makes you want to hear it over and over to me. Yeah, it feels like a real culmination um, of all the, you know, a cocktail of emotions that we felt that, that just explode at that point. Wait for the spark. Please set me on
And I, I can remember like when we were recording, it was just like, oh God, I can't wait to, for this bit live, you know, and, and to be to be playing that now for most of the year, it's, it's, it's still like such a, one of my favorite moments of the set for sure. Something about this arrangement, like I said, when I get to chorus three, it seems like it's only been a minute, minute and a half. It doesn't seem like it's almost a three-minute song at that point. Mm. I don't know what what it is here, why <laughs> that tricks my my brain into feeling that way. But again, on on subsequent listens, it keeps doing the same thing. On the second line, please set me on fire. There's a super high note on fire that you go to. You're just reaching there and kind of building this last chorus. I think that's awesome. We get another rattlesnake rattle here and a great synth part, which leads us into a double chorus here. Same lyrics uh, the first time. And on the last line, please set me on fire, set me on fire. We get a backing vocal that says, please set me on fire that holds out under the next line. I want to be ash in the atmosphere. We get another full chorus. On the second uh, line of the second half of the chorus here, it's slightly different melody and there's no please set me on fire there. And uh, the same thing on uh, on line four. We get a different melody. Uh, I'm done with being polite by that point. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're the, there's no uh, there's no candy coating this. You're aggravated <laughs> yeah. at this point. Then the band all hit a one, two, three, four together. They all end together, and it fades out with a moving synth hook and the hum and noise of amps and instruments kind of crackling as we fade out. It's awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a, an absolute joy to to make this one. Your kind words and your uh, picking it apart is is awesome. So yeah, thank you. What's the reception been like? And not just in your home country of England. I, I know it, it's going to be through the roof there, but you mentioned you're in the States right now. Mm. When you play this song, what kind of reaction is it getting? Because it's a new song. When you go out and play new songs either they're great the first time you play them and sometimes you're like why isn't this connecting yeah well we've actually we've been quite bold i think really we've been opening up most of our sets with it um certainly on our like uh, sideshows uh some of the festivals we've, we've been switching it up but it's interesting because like it, it definitely hits and it's great to see everyone like people singing along like that's you know, from the the outset of a set, that's what you want. You want to be like bombarded with, with people like passionately singing along, and we've had that. But it, because it's like vocally, it's 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 really challenging, and certainly in the verses uh, for the guys, the the guitar and, and bass lines are challenging as well. So for us, it's actually quite a static song. Like there's there's not a lot of like physical energy we can put into it because we're we're concentrating so much. So in that respect, it's quite interesting as well, because we, we come out and often, you know, people expect it to be an immediate explosion of energy at an Enchikari show. But it's nice to be able to sort of showcase this song and just concentrate on the melodies and have people singing along uh, and, and not be like encouraging, you know, like wild, a wild mosh pit from the, from the outset. So it's it's actually been, yeah, yeah, really nice. And, and it, I, we enjoy it so much, like playing it. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great. I love your sound, and I love where you've continued to push and, and take this band. I mean, you're you're uh, you're you're helming the projects now as producer. It's it, it's awesome, and uh, it was it was a pleasure breaking down this song. I want to thank you for sitting in uh, with us today. And before we break, what do you got for everyone listening? What's uh, what's next for Enter Shikari? Ooh, uh, well, we're just about to go to Mexico. 
um, and play some headline shows for the first time. So we're super excited about that. And then I t- we're just a load more touring. Um, we've got a few tracks that we're working on. I'm actually going to head back up into uh, my room and head on and uh, try and make some music today. And we're working on coming back to America in, I think it's April next year. Um, we're just finalizing the dates for that. So yes, yeah, super pumped to be coming back and, and doing a, like a bit more of a proper tour because this one's just been uh, basically a few festivals and then some, some linking shows together. So it's a bit of a half ass tour, this one. It's only been two weeks. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, attempting to traverse the uh the extent of uh your wonderful country once more yeah love it well best of luck and safe travels to you and the guys thank you so much for having me like I, I, as as well you're an absolute legend man like we're all big fans like so many memories like intertwined with with uh, your music so uh yeah thank you for the music as abba once said <laughs> yeah. take the high pressure Hey, everybody. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Raul Reynolds. And I got to chime in with my two cents here. Enter Shikari is a band that I've heard of for a long time, but never actually heard. And in preparation for this episode, I listened to this album, A Kiss for the Whole World, and it is unbelievable. I've listened to it every day since we recorded this. I can't recommend it highly enough. Go check it out. Enter Shikari, A Kiss for the Whole World. It's amazing. And uh, don't go anywhere. We got lots more Krista Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Chris Demakes, a podcast producer, Chris Fafalius. Will you do me a favor real quick? Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to One Hit Thunder. It's the show that I host with my good buddy, Matt Kelly, where we have guests from the world of music and comedy and art, and together we dive deep into a band or artist that people consider a one-hit wonder and decide if they brought the thunder or were just a blunder. You'll laugh, you'll learn, maybe you'll get mad at us, who knows? We have an enormous back catalog that includes episodes about Eagle Eye Cherry, Stacy Q, Looking Glass, The Weather Girls, Tag Team, Four Non Blondes, Martika, Creation, Sixpence None the Richer. I could go on and on. But how about you just subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods and experience the fun for yourself? As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Teenage Waitress, 
a solo project from Southampton, England's Daniel J. Ash. In Ash's own words, Teenage Waitress is a collection of short stories about other people set to what I hope are some instantly hummable tunes. Here's a snippet of their song, Gray Sky. Chris and Chris. So Chris, Enter Shikari is a band that I've heard of for a really long time, but never actually heard. But in preparation for this episode, man, this album is awesome. I told Raul this the second we got off of the uh, call here. It's so good. I've been running to it every day. It gets me fired up. It's right up my alley of inventive and uh, an interesting music that I love. This is great. I'm so glad that Krista Makes a Podcast exposed me to a new band that I love. <laughs> and you've done the same for me on this show, Chris, and I appreciate that. I always love that when I come into something and you're super stoked and excited and I don't really know the artist or haven't heard the song as, as much as you have. Uh, same thing here. I've known about this band for a long time. When I reconnected with them uh, in Europe this past summer and just the reaction that this band gets live, it is incredible, okay? One of the best live acts. Not 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 just saying that. Great band and uh, inventive. Yeah different yeah. pushing pushing the, the the envelope of of music i love it yeah they don't really sound like anybody no you know and uh, i think that's really cool Ralph said that he views their music as dance music but played in a punk outfit which i totally see when i listen to this chris it reminds me of being in england and going out to a club and i <laughs> you know not not that it's as heavy as enter shikari is but there it has that vibe it puts me in that place does that make sense? It makes me feel like I'm there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's moments in this song, too, where I, I mentioned, uh, I think it was uh, pre-chorus one in the song where it goes to the lower vocal. It's very, very 80s, uh, yeah. uh, new wave English sounding. Yes. You know, it, it's got that quality. It does make me feel like I'm, yeah, like you said, in a pub after the show listening to some, some band on the PA. And I love when the accent comes through in the vocals. Do you know there's some... Uh, British bands where you can't even hear the accent in, in it. I like when you can hear it. It's why I love the streets so much. I love hearing that in there for some reason. And also, man, you know I love that low end. And I love sub bass. I love the drops. I love stuff like that. I love when it shakes my car. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not much of a trouble guy. I'm such a bass guy. It makes sense that I'm a bassist because I love that in their music as well. Yeah, the the thickness of this intro, the chorus mm -hmm. part, with what they're doing with those low low subs and the synths there. And I didn't know, and that's why I asked them if there was subtones going on, because I didn't know if the guitars were taken and then kind of manipulated in and blown out on their own and i think it was a combination of everything and i'm just still amazed and i had asked him you know a, a song like this when 
is enough enough yeah <laughs> you know i i put stereo guitars in a less than jake song i got a right and left speaker going of you know some some good rhythm guitars maybe an overdub in the chorus another guitar up the middle you know you know your sound i know the confines of my sound something like this I, it, it'd be very difficult to know when to stop for me yeah i'll say i mean he brought up because you kept talking about the rattlesnake sound he called it ear candy that's a common thing that you'll hear uh little things that accentuate things in songs little things that grab your ear i wouldn't know when to stop with the ear candy especially in a song like this you know you <laughs> yes. you could just keep going and keep going and not only keep going but you keep switching things out and so many different things are going to sound cool so yeah it is a real challenge and it's really impressive that he stepped up as the producer of this too, because sometimes you need that outside producer to to rein you in. Yeah, I've had producers say, "What are you? Why are you trying to you know, uh, you know, put a put a square in a round hole or whatever? You're you're trying to shove a guitar part in here. The song's done. What are you doing? You you step back from it and you're able to, you know, pause for a moment and say, "Yeah, he's right." But you know, who edits you when you're the producer yeah. when you're helming the project? Yeah, it's a big responsibility, and I love when there's thought in the production that makes the music go along with the lyrics. He decided not to put a harmony on a lyric that stressed the feeling of isolation. I think that that, we've talked about it before, and there's nothing wrong with being like, oh, we threw a harmony there because it sounded cool. You know, or, or we did this because, eh, we were just feeling it. But it's like the extra mile when you're thinking about the lyric and the theme of the song and having the production go along with that. That's uh. I just think that's impressive. It, it is impressive. I, I've brought it up many times where I've said, hey, there's no harmony on this line. I think it makes it sound personal. I think that was the right call. I've never had a guest actually say that was the reason they left it off, though, that I can recall. Yeah, he was definitely thinking about that. And also, Chris, I love, <laughs> I know I've had this, I'm having this experience lately with like new songs. I know you've had this experience too. It was interesting to hear him talk about not being able to put a lot of physical energy into the live performance because they have to focus so hard on playing it. It's such a crazy experience. Like before you have the muscle memory, of course, we both have songs we've been playing for decades or what, whatever, a long time where you don't even think about what you're playing and you can just, yeah. you can go off for lack of a better way to put it. But when you have a new song and you go out and playing it, you have to really think about what you're playing. And I don't know, that kind of, I feel like that keeps you on your toes as a musician. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it does. It's a very uh, fish-out-of-water feeling. Yeah. I don't particularly like it. <laughs> you know, I, I like to have that boss. I like to go on autopilot, I call it, and yeah. kind of do my thing. It is a little stressful. But but yeah, and and heck, there's times when you, you'll do a part, we've talked about this, where, you know, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to be highbrow here and make this crazy guitar part. It's like, okay, well, now I have to sing over it. How am I going to do that live? Right. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> exactly. I know when I play a new song, especially when it's the first time and it's a little complex or something, when you finish the song and you didn't screw it up, that's a great feeling. And it kind of reminds me, Chris, of the great feeling when we finish an episode and don't screw it up, and then we can flow right into the after party. The after party? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that that, that thing you find over at ChrisDemakes.com that's just like a Patreon, but we call it supporting cast. That's right. The after party. You get bonus episodes with Chris and I each week for the price of a cup of coffee or an apple juice at a Cracker Barrel east of the Mississippi. That's right. <laughs> the after party. And uh, yeah, ChrisDemakes.com. Head over there and uh, please sign up. You'll be supporting the podcast that we know, well, we hope you love. Yeah, that's right. 
Are there Cracker Barrels west of the Mississippi? <laughs> um, are there Cracker Barrels in California? <laughs> there, there, uh, there's a Cracker Barrel in Texas. I know that. So yeah, that's west of the Mississippi. Okay. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think if there was a Cracker Barrel in California, there may be um, that an apple juice would be more than three seventy nine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be. Yeah. It would at least be as much as a gallon of gas. That's right. And hey, if you haven't given me a follow on Instagram, it's less than Christy. Give Chris Fafalius a follow there too. He would love it. And uh, go subscribe to my YouTube page. We put a lot of cool stuff up there. Chris puts a lot of cool stuff up there. And uh, yeah, I want to thank this week's guest, Rao Reynolds from Enter Shikari for sitting in with us. We'll catch you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.